Hey everyone, welcome to the Bavada at Odds podcast. I'm your host, Seth Everett. He is Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bavada Sportsbook. And we are talking about the latest in sports and sports gambling. And Patrick, the NBA playoffs are here. Uh, last week, we talked a lot about the impact on sportsbooks that the Lakers losing had because so many people had bet not only for them to win in the playoffs, but for them to win overall at the beginning of the season. And a lot of those bets didn't pay off. Now you have this scenario where the Lakers are out and they weren't the favorite to win, but the favorite to win Brooklyn has two major injuries and you have two series that are going down really might go down to the wire that started out 2-0. There really is a great mystery here. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. And I don't think that's happened in a long time. Yeah, Seth, uh, looking at the updated futures board at Bavada right now, it is, it's, it's really bizarre. And I, I'm, I've been struggling to try and think of a time in, it, certainly in my time at Bavada, when the futures board has been this muddy, this deep into the playoffs. I mean, we thought we had a clear favorite in the Brooklyn Nets when we talked last week. They were around uh, plus 125 or so. Uh, and they were up 2 nothing against the Bucks. They've since lost two in a row. They've got injury issues now. Uh, the East uh, certainly doesn't look like a fait accompli for them, uh, as the French like to say. And, and the rest of the board uh, reflects that. Uh, you know, the Nets plus 375, the Jazz and Suns both 4-1. to one. What a story. The Phoenix Suns just absolutely cruising through the playoffs right now. Uh, the Bucks right there, 3-1. to one. That was really, really tight in game three where the Nets had came all the way back. They were up three with a minute left. One of our largest in-game liabilities of the season, that game three Nets-Bucks uh, uh, game. But... Uh, yeah, and, and the Clippers right there as well, hanging in there plus 550. Again, uh, it's really just the Atlanta Hawks who look like they're on their way out uh, all the way up at 60 to 1. But even the 76ers, again, I But I don't know how you say that. Time. I mean, because, again, they're, they, they, they came back. They forced a game five, 2-2. Two, two. To me, if in a seven-game series, if you're 2-2 two, two hitting into game five, you're there for the duration. You're, you're there for the duration. I mean, uh, listen, at the end of the day, uh, we are constantly updating uh, these numbers. Uh, you know, the Nets are still good, and if they can survive the Bucs, uh, you know, they'll probably be a little bit healthier uh, later on. But it, they it's would tough. be favored against either the Sixers or the Hawks. They would absolutely be a very significant favorite, uh, favorites against the Sixers or the Hawks. So it's still, if the Nets can get healthy and survive the Bucs, but hey, the Bucs just got to, if the Bucs can steal two in a row, that's it. That's done. Uh, you know, we can cry about, uh, you know, what the Nets would have done if they were healthy, but uh, you know, that's too bad. That's how sports work. And uh, it, it's actually fascinating to me that we have a clearer outright favorite in the NHL this late than we do in the NBA. The NBA, the picture is usually so much clearer, but uh, it, it has been uh, fascinating. And, and, and it's been great. And again, uh, I feel like I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, but yeah, you know, full mea culpa. I, I thought the early rounds of the NBA playoffs we're not going to deliver. They usually don't. Sometimes you get the yep, odd right. series that stands out. But this this has been incredible. Uh, you know, we talked all year about the Jazz and Suns, and all, I assumed they were going to fade. I assumed that these teams that weren't having strong regular seasons, like the Lakers, like the Clippers, like the Nets kind of figuring out as they did along the way. Uh, usually, historically, the cream rises to the, the top in the NBA, and that has not happened this season. And this playoffs has been all that much better for it. It absolutely has. Now, in the defense, or I guess the cynic against the NBA is not every game has gone down to the wire. You know, <laughs> you have a great setting, and then sometimes these teams will lay an egg, and all of a sudden these teams have been blowouts, 
and you know Denver didn't even put up a fight against Phoenix and you've seen some of these um you know I I I don't like the automatic NBA NHL comparison in the NHL there have not been that many blowouts there have been blowouts don't get me wrong there have been a few but not as many as there is in the NBA yeah, and, and a lot of the NHL blowouts aren't even really as bad as they look on the score sheet, right? Uh, I mean, you, you see a lot of these two, three, four goal games sometimes where, hey, the coaches know it doesn't matter at that point if you lose by four, five, six, or seven, you know, might as well play high variance uh, hockey at that uh, right point and try and get an extra man on the ice. So I, I kind of get that. Uh, with the NBA, uh, and this just popped in my head, but it does kind of remind me, having watched a lot of the French Open last weekend, you know, French Open is notorious for being uh, a tournament because it's clay, because it's slow, because it's hard. To, uh, guys can battle back. I mean, you do have guys who will punt sets, much like NBA teams will, you know, punt a game late in the third quarter if it's a seven-game series. So you do see these blowouts in series where it's just, yeah, you know what, we've got them in game six. If you're Djokovic, sometimes you blow that second set if you're already down a few games because got to save it for the third set, the fourth set. These series are grinds. And, uh, you know, yeah, the Suns were able to do it in four, but some of these other series that went six, went seven, uh, they had some blowouts through in there, but that, that's part of the strategy of managing that larger battle. So uh, I, I still think for the most part, the NBA playoffs, just really incredible so far. And I think even the Suns sweeping Nuggets was, uh, you know, interesting in its own right to see the Suns start to reinforce that maybe they are as dominant as the numbers suggest. Uh, you know, again, the eye test didn't suggest that they were, particularly great all year, but the numbers said that they were a strong team and, you know, those numbers are starting to bear out for them. There's something to be said. One, one last point on the, on the NBA um, about how amazing the Warriors run was, or the San Antonio Spurs recent run was you have to a get the players. Mm. B, you have three players all injury prone and two of them are hurt at this exact moment. You know, I'm talking about Brooklyn like you Brooklyn did the NBA build the way you have to build. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how you build in the NBA. You recruit one big free agent. He brings a couple of friends and you build a super team. That's what the Miami Heat did. That's but it shows what Golden State and San Antonio did is so rare because I'm not counting the Nets out yet but they are not a sure thing. And the weirdest part about that is, is that they weren't healthy all season. And there's this hired gun feeling about them that they're not built the way the warriors were built. And it's just, it's a different feel. And look at that. You know, they have, it's a best of three going into when, at least when we're recording this, um, the idea that the next season could be on the brink after all that investment and all that, you know, draft picks and everything going into one thing, God, basketball is such a hard sport to get right. It is. And uh, you cannot predict injuries except to the extent that some players, once they have one, then they are that much more likely to potentially re-injure that area because there's a weakening of whatever joint or tendon, whatever specific injury with every specific player. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's absolutely, it's it's brutal in the NBA. Uh, you can go the free agency route and mortgage your future, and you can have a lot of success doing that. Uh, you know, the Lakers can go from nothing to meaningful, just like that with a LeBron sign, with an Anthony Davis sign. And it doesn't really matter what else they do. Uh, it was the same in Miami. And even Golden State kind of lucked into having a lot of uh, of their early success with a lot of player-friendly contracts 
you know, guys that were still uh, on, you know, rookie contracts in there that uh, allowed them to build uh, an ad in a way that a lot of other teams that were already fully set uh, couldn't do. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that have to break your way. And for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, unfortunately, injuries is one of those things that very much hasn't. But uh, again, speaking to you today, uh, they're still right there. They're still the favorite in the East. They've got a tough two out of three against the Bucks team that is looking to get off the schneid, so to speak, uh, in these NBA playoffs. Can Giannis and this Bucks team take that next step? Hey, listen, sometimes you have to take the opportunities uh, provided to you. And the injury situation of the Nets is a huge one for the Bucks. Uh, to the extent that momentum exists, the Bucks have the momentum in that series right now. And I think the Nets uh, are a little bit more likely to blink than not. So be curious to see what happens next few games. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. Meanwhile, across the pond, uh, the across Euros the pond. are going on. And the Euros are this fascinating uh, time when part of the world gets into full-on World Cup mode. Like that That's what this feels like. It feels like the World Cup. Uh, you had that absolute scare, that player for Denmark, uh, who literally his heart stopped on the field, had to be revived by CPR. Um, so it, it certainly started with with, with a crisis. Um, your thought on the Euros and how do you gauge favorites right now? Um, a lot of people are talking about England, but again, I, I can't judge it by social media. Yeah, it's uh, looking at the futures before the tourney and where we are uh about half a week into an early group stage games. Um, very different tournament this year. So even more teams qualified for the Euros this year. It seems like every country in Europe, uh, looking at the board we have, uh, was able to qualify, which kind of uh, calls into question the meaningfulness of the early qualifiers. But besides all that, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about tournaments like this, uh, and there's a couple things, but I love daytime sports. I love daytime weekday sports, especially when it's nice weather out. I've got to work during the day. So, you know, maybe my uh, maybe my own personal efficiency uh, drops off a little bit. But I love these 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. stuff. Last one's done at 5, and then I can call it a day. The second thing I love about it is uh, as much as my hands touch a lot of things on the North American side, I'm, I'm pretty hands-off with the European soccer. We have a team that – so I, I personally get to enjoy this a little bit more because I'm not sweating over the results as much. Now, at the end of the day, if things go sideways and let's say – uh, France were to win it. France is our biggest liability at Bavada right now in the Euro 2020 futures. Then, you know, I, I have to speak to that. We have to look into that. And, you know, I might feel a little bit of heat. But for the most part, I have a team of guys that I can trust to run this entire tournament. And I can be a bit of a fan, which is kind of cool because uh, I can spend my time personally looking for that as well. But every single one of these games, to give context to listeners, uh, it's like an NFL playoff game in terms of the kind of handle that it generates. Uh, and also in terms of the betting options, uh, every one of these group stage games that we have has about 100 different ways to bet these pre-match. So you're really kind of getting this, you know, March Madness or NFL playoff kind of feel where every game is so much more meaningful, not just as to who's going to win. But I mean, gosh, yesterday I was betting uh, under four and a half corners in the first half of a. Uh, of uh, Spain, Sweden, uh, those six pointers didn't work out my way, but I did get Sweden more yellow cards in Spain. So, and, and, and that's me who's not someone who's traditionally betting soccer, but when you're able to comb through a hundred markets per game like that, you can find a couple opportunities uh, because Lord knows we don't have the time to make sure that everything we post is just perfectly handicapped. So I love the big events like this because it's, you know, it's an opportunity for us to flex how much uh, you can bet with us 
But for someone who also does bet, uh, I love the suite of options that you you know can get yourself into with something like this. It, it's it's a lot of fun. I love this stuff. The interesting part about it is it's it happens at a time when um, the season is, is you know the 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 European football season is kind of over, um, but this is a bigger priority. Uh, who plays for the your your country is more important to the fans than your home team. If you're a Tottenham Hotspurs fan, you're an England fan. If you're this, this is different than, you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how uh, I don't understand how you root for your rivals. And somebody mm-hmm. brought up an example. Somebody had heard the podcast and brought up an example. They don't understand how in the sec, like if you're Georgia, you hate Florida, you hate yeah. Florida, you hate Florida. But if Florida makes the championship and Georgia doesn't, it's go SEC. And I'm like, why? You mm-hmm. hate them. Like, how do you root? It's the same thing if you're a New Jersey Devils fan. You cannot root for the New York Islanders. You just, you simply can't. So in, in, in Europe, the country is so much more important in this sport that it fascinates me how it doesn't matter if you're an Arsenal fan, a Man U fan. It doesn't matter if you're an AC Milan fan. You root for your country. And your bitterest rival is now on your team because these are essentially all-star teams. And it's it's such a different mentality in sports. Uh, it fascinates me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because uh, I can picture right in my head right now those SEC cheers that you see all the time. Uh, time. It doesn't matter whether it's LSU or Alabama taking someone to the woodshed, the national championship game. Uh, They love to flex their conference. And that, that is a weird SEC only kind of thing. Cause you know, I'm I'm thinking about Michigan, for example, Michigan ain't rooting on Ohio state in the national championship. But it used to be in the old big East. If Georgetown made the final four Syracuse fans, we rooted for the, for Georgetown. Really? All the time. And I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand it. What the reason I, I say it is because rivalries, the only let, let's use the premier league as the example, yeah. the rivalries in the premier league are probably as intense as NHL rivalries. Would you agree with that? Oh, uh, probably more so, more so, more so. Yeah. What I wouldn't understand how, uh, for example, Nathan McKinnon, he's a, he's American, right? Yep. Okay. No, Nathan McKinnon. No, who's the who's the American that's playing in Canada? Uh, Caulfield for the Habs. No. Oh fuck! What's the superstar? There was a superstar that got drafted, and he's American. Um. Uh, Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, he's that's a superstar. Okay. Sorry, I. Yeah. I I was I was half right. I was um, I was thinking still playing. So that's why I was I was throwing. I was thinking that Montreal. Okay. Mm. So here's so so Austin Matthews plays for a Canadian team, but if there is a U.S. versus Canada matchup, Austin Matthews is on the other side. Mm-hmm. Well, in in European football or soccer, as it's known, you know, in 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 this part of the world. That happens all the stinking time. Like your arch rivals are from Chelsea and Man U and Arsenal are all on the same team. And if you have foreign players 
So if you're Obenayang, uh, he's a star for Arsenal. My family, uh, I have relatives in England and they're season ticket holders for Arsenal. So I've kind of adopted them as my team, right? This guy, Obenayang, he's not American. He's not British. So when the Euros come, he's gone. He's your favorite player. The, the country divide and the united aspect of it where rivals suddenly th- you throw away all those rivalries and you go right into it is a fascinating aspect of sports that we simply don't have. Yeah, I, I think the closest thing uh, I can think of is uh, my dad, God bless him. For whatever reason, he, he just hates Sidney Crosby. And the only reason why he hates Sidney Crosby is because my dad loves Alexander Ovechkin and they came up uh, together. And for whatever reason, I don't know, it's like, I don't know if it's go. sports it's or media or whatever, came up together. but you yep. got, you got to pick a side, right? But when Sidney Crosby plays for Team Canada, my dad will it's bite guy, his tongue right? and uh, accept it. And uh, Sidney Crosby got us the golden goal. And I, you know, I hate to bring that up, uh, but you know, it, it did occur. You know, he was our hero against uh, Team USA. It is, it's, it is kind of cool to see how that stuff, uh, can collapse uh, when it comes to, you know, nationalistic pride in a tournament like this. And it, it, it's kind of interesting. You see, uh, you know, tournaments like these are always going to be nationalistic pride, They're literally playing for your host country. But the, there does kind of seem with a backdrop to COVID, each country really feeling this pressure to kind of outdo each other in fan attendance and, oh, you know, look at the game day experience in France. Well, look at the game day experience in England. Yeah, well, that's part of it. There's yeah. a, because every country's dealing you know, with the pandemic differently. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, much like the Olympics, it's an opportunity to flex, whether it's Tokyo, whether it's Beijing. Uh, the last time they hosted, uh, you know, part of this is a way to, you know, you have the eyes of the world watching. More people are watching the Euros right now than are watching anything else. And if you're England, this is your opportunity to say, oh, you know, look at us. We've got, uh, you know, their hope, their hope is uh, for their England-Czech Republic game, June 22nd. To have Wembley at full capacity, which would be about 80,000 people, oh. uh, that would make it the first uh, in Europe to go full capacity for a game. Although some of the Scandinavian countries, you can see them at about 70 percent. So they are kind of it is their way to kind of signal, you know, and then hopefully their soccer team can actually take them over uh, the finish line as well. But uh, honestly, it's a great tournament so far. I don't care how many teams they want to add to it. I just love all this daytime soccer. And the betting opportunities. And, and I love that it's wide open. It's about as wide open as the NBA playoffs are right now. Yeah. Uh, again, France, four to one, your favorite, but England, Belgium, Italy, right there, Spain, Portugal, Germany, all between five and eight to one. Uh, it's really any team's tournament early on. Low scoring to start, which is usually kind of the case. Uh, there's always a feeling out process early on in these international tourneys. Scoring tends to pick up usually by uh, match two or match three of the group stage, but uh, I, I'm still enjoying every minute of it. I, I absolutely love it. It's uh, and and I love it because it's something else that's more fans in the stands. To me, it's just another signal of this very very slow but steady return to somewhat normalcy, and uh, it's it's one of my favorite things to watch. All right, uh, so that's the Euros. Uh, let's take a look. Well, politics are still a big thing at Bavada, huh? Like we're not talking about the 2024 presidential race, although I'm sure there are odds on that. Uh, what about, <laughs> and now my, my Apple TV is going to inundate me with ads for the New York city mayor race. Uh, I live in New Jersey. I can't vote for the New York city mayor, but my God, every time I watch a live sporting event or the local news, it, I am inundated. I feel like I know all the mayoral mayoral candidates intimately. It's a, it's a little bonkers, but are people putting bets on this? 
<laughs> yeah, so we actually do have uh, mayoral odds for New York City, uh, Seattle and Boston, but uh, the New York City one is getting the most uh, attention uh, for a few different reasons. You have former presidential candidate Andrew Yang in the mix. You have Eric Adams, who I heard might be your neighbor in New Jersey, Seth. I don't know. It's uh, some curious reporting as to where he hangs his hat at night. But uh, uh, but Eric Adams has been able to shake off uh, the questions as to where he actually does reside. And he's now the the minus 155 favorite. So we've seen the Yang gang take a temporary setback. He had been uh, the favorite the last few months to be the next mayor of New York City. But his polling has started to collapse. Eric Adams uh, has become the odds-on favorite. Even Catherine Garcia, uh, New York City councillor, um, has seen her odds uh, soar past Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang is actually the fourth biggest favorite now for the next mayor of New York City. So, uh, you know, uh, going into all those bodegas and, uh, you know, buying a banana and, you know, show, showing like he was one of the people. I guess those ads rang as hollow with New Yorkers as they did with me. I tried to retire from political trading, Seth. I really did. I still have my scars from the 2020 election. But uh, I, I had to jump in with this. And the, the players, once again, have shown a massive appetite for betting uh, politics. I was hoping that the players would want to slow down on this too so I could stop paying attention. But it's, it's fascinating to see uh, for a mayoral race that's still however many months out, we already have five-figure positions on all of these candidates. I mean, it's, that's crazy. it's, it's very bizarre to me, but it's also very cool. And, uh, you know, the good news is that uh, for all these candidates, if the most crazy thing about any of them is that one of them maybe doesn't live in New York City, you know, I can take that uh, political normalization. That, that, that's the kind of scandals that I want to be seeing, not, not anything else that we were dealing with the last four or five years. Well, it's weird because it's a it's a primary. So there's all these candidates. And because it's so tight and so wide open, they're all not going to drop out. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be a cluster for, for it, it, that. That's where all the the money is being spent on these ads. And when I say like we're inundated, like it'll be a commercial break where let's say there's nine commercials. Seven of them are different politics, political ads. And I can't vote for Ugh. any of them. And it's, it's the stupidest. It's just, it's mind numbingly dumb. So we actually do have odds up on the 2021 New Jersey gubernatorial election as well right now. And I think what you're seeing from this Republican candidate as well is uh, a guy who's got to swing for the fences. Uh, it's, it's tough right. to run as a Republican in New Jersey. And as a result, uh, the Democrats winning the 2021 New Jersey gubernatorial election currently minus 5,000 favorites. You'd have to risk uh, 5,000 bucks to win a $100 profit, which is not uh, too attractive of a proposition. So yeah, if you're this Republican candidate, uh, you've got you've, you've to swing for the fences. You've got to suggest crazy. You've got to go high variance because otherwise, uh, you know, you're probably doomed either way. Yeah, there's, there's no secret about that. Uh, finally, uh, your beloved NHL. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens were the team that got special permission. You can go in and out of Canada. Uh, they can do it. The Blue Jays can't. I don't understand that. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the Canadians against the Golden Knights of Vegas and then your Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending champs, going up against those New York Islanders. And <laughs> what do we see? What, are, what, are, what do we have? What do we have? Series odds and, and overall, uh, who's going to win the Stanley Cup? So we have the Vegas Knights now as your odds-on favorites to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, they routed the Montreal Canadiens in game one. Uh, still an early series, you know, uh, pains me to say, but the Montreal Canadiens were down three games to one to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we all know how that went. So I, I wouldn't abandon hope just yet, folks, but uh, 
Things a bit tighter in the Lightning and Islanders. Lightning are plus 275 and Islanders are four to one. So, uh, you know, the Canadians, listen, they've got one of the hottest goalies in the league. Yeah, you know, he didn't play so great. But, you know, the team around him didn't play so great in game one. So uh, I still think it's any team series. It wouldn't surprise me if Montreal runs hot. Vegas Knights were a minus 400 uh, pre-series favorite against the Canadians. Uh, which would suggest that they win that series about eight times out of 10. So uh, that's updated now to about minus 600 now after the game one result. So, you know, uh, if you're the Canadians, you, you've got to know that you've been running hot to even get here. Uh, you know, most of the regular season, uh, the Montreal media market was talking about, you know, how, what do we do with Bergevin? What do we do with the coaching situation? Is it time to, you know, get rid of some of our veterans and, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs are great in that they can really rejuvenate a narrative. And uh, it's coming across my Facebook feed. We were talking about targeted ads just a moment ago. But, oh, Bergevin, uh, one of the most respected GMs in the league now. Uh, <laughs> you know, what Montreal's strategy is doing is like, hey, you know what? If they lose that game seven, if they lose any of those overtime games against Toronto, the narrative changes completely again. Really? And, you know, he's maybe out on his ass if it's a first-round series loss. So, uh, I mean, it just goes to show that hockey – football, basketball, there are no strangers to creating a narrative to fit a result. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I like the Canadians. I'm, I'm not a hateful Toronto Maple Leafs fan. I think it's cool to see them have the run that they have. Uh, are, are they overmatched? Yes. Are they the worst of the four teams? Absolutely. But they're still there. They can still run hot. It wouldn't surprise me if they do. And uh, if you think they have that shot, they've got the best odds out there left at 15-1. Uh, I, think, I think now you have to look at Tampa differently. Um, we'll see what, see what happens with, with, with the lightning. I was surprised on Boston and I was surprised on Colorado. Colorado is stunning. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't be because it's, again, it's hockey and even the largest and the president's trophy still... winner never wins. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, the analytics community before the playoffs started had Colorado as something like 38% to win the Stanley cup with 16 teams in the playoffs. That's I've, I've never seen a number that high on paper. They were probably one of the best teams of the last 15, 20 years, which of course doesn't mean anything if you don't win the Stanley cup. Uh, but yeah, that was to the extent that an NHL result can be shocking. It is shocking that Colorado did go out the way they did. They were an incredible team all year. Everything suggested that they were the cream of the crop, but Hey, those same analytics had the Leafs as the third best favorite uh, in the league with usually Vegas and Tampa intermixed between that second and fourth slot all year. So uh, I mean, for the most part, uh, it's cool that the Knights are still there. Lightning are still there. Islanders, that is, and I, you know, I know you love the Islanders, but I got to say how good of a coach Barry Trotz. My goodness, that guy's success everywhere he goes, the way he's been able to elevate those teams, but also to see those teams drop off immediately after he leaves. Uh, what, what an incredible coach, what an incredible run. Uh, even if you don't like the Islanders, and I know one of the two of us doesn't, uh, it's still <laughs> incredibly impressive uh, for me to see the kind of success that he's having. Well, you know, look, we're professionals first, but we're, we're broadcast <laughs> or fans second. Uh, it's just, it goes to the rule. You can't root for your rivals. You can't do it. Yeah. I don't care what the story is. I don't care how nice Barry Trotz is. Lou Lamorello led, gave me three Stanley cups. I love, I adore the man. Uh, 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 what's his face. Andy green's great. Uh, Travis Zajac's a legend. Kyle Palmieri is an all-star. Like these are great players that were on my team. They're not on my team anymore, but that uniform, like somebody said to me, they said, uh, are you going to apply for media credentials to go? And I said, I am not stepping foot in the Nassau goddamn Coliseum <laughs> one more time. I will see their new arena. I want to see their new arena that when it, when it's built, but 
no way am I going to that. Plus, I'm dead. traffic on the Long Island Expressway. No. See, that's I a good reason. That's a good reason. I'd rather listen to more political ads. <laughs> that's Patrick Morrow. I'm Seth Everett. We'll see you next week.